making our way through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, our, uh, in Luke chapter 2 this morning is where we find ourselves, Luke chapter 2, and we will focus just on uh, verses 36 through 38. So Luke chapter 2, verses 36 through 38 is where we will resign ourselves this morning. Luke chapter 2, verse 36 through 38, Luke 2, 36 through 38, and if you're able physically to do so, I do invite you one final time to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's holy and written word. Luke, the second chapter, verse 36 through 38, hear the word of the Lord given to you and I this morning. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity, and she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she, coming in that instant, gave thanks likewise to the Lord and spoke of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father, we thank you as we um, come to our text this morning that uh, you have given us uh, the example. Uh, Last week you have shown us uh, the example of Simeon and the testimony he gave us. And now uh, we come to Anna, uh, this this older woman in the faith uh, who longingly looked for the Messiah. We thank you for her testimony and example as we look at this. We pray that your name may be exalted and glorified as we we examine the text, as we look to, to understand and grow in our understanding of Scripture. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So what is the measure of a life well spent? In our day and age, we would answer that probably from a secular perspective in a lot of different ways. We could say, for instance, or I think there would be some who would say, for instance, um, effectiveness. Like, how effective have you been in our lives? And I think at the heart, Americans, by and large, are pragmatists. Um, we, we are pragmatists at heart. And so we feel that if a person does something or is useful in some way for society then they, they have a profession or a trade or something, then if they spend their life in that profession or trade or, or whatever uh, effectiveness that they can have in our society, then, then, then their life has been well spent. I think there are others who would, look at, who would look at someone and say, well, okay, maybe not effectiveness, maybe just simply an activity, maybe an activity, maybe, maybe someone who lives a, a life that is well spent uh, would be someone who uh, reflects, uh, you know, an extremely busy person person, right? They, they flee, they, they go from activity to activity to activity, and uh, if they don't have an activity on their calendar, maybe they, maybe they freak out a little because they thought, oh no, I have forgotten an activity. Um, and so some would say, well, you know, the, the activities of life and being involved uh, in social events or whatever the case may be, maybe that's the, the way we measure a life well spent. Others would say, no, 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 not at all. Perhaps excitement and adventure is the way that we would, should spend our lives. We should spend our lives living life to the fullest and getting everything, every ounce of pleasure that we can get from life. And we would say that, or they would say that, that we, we are living life to the, to the extreme. And if we can't do this literally, right, then we do this through all kinds of different activities. Uh, so we do this through books or we do this through our um, programs of, of varying kind, whether it be uh, video games or, or any number of things people may, may be into, right? They, they, they live their lives in this way. Others would say, well, maybe that's true, but I think most of all, 
Uh, it's about personal happiness and satisfaction. So ultimately, a life well spent, these people would answer and say, well, a life well spent is, is uh, someone who just dies happy. Doesn't matter what else they die, die of or from, or they just die happy, and, and, and that's, that's what it means to live a well-spent life. Well, I think against all of these measurements, whether it be excitement or effectiveness or activity or personal happiness or any a number of other standards, I think that we could throw out there, that, that the average American could throw out there, I, I think uh, in contrast to that, uh, we can examine this, this lady here by the name of Anna. One, one Anna, a woman of 84 years of age, had, had been married for seven years. We're not told she had any children, so we would expect that she is a widow and uh, that uh, without, a ch- without children and uh, has, uh, uh, you know, has, whenever she was married, uh, she has lived since a widow from after those seven years. And we can look at this woman's life and we can see what God says and, God, and what God has to say about a life that is, that is well spent. It is a life, ultimately, that is lived for him and his glory and his honor. I think by our American standards or by standards just in general, I think world standards in general, I, I think we, somebody might look at Anna's life and think, well, what, you know, what was really the purpose of her life? What, what was her reason for existing? Right? She was an old lady who just basically lived and fa- lived in the temple and fasted and prayed, right? So what's so unique about her way of living? And yet God clearly gifted her in ways and with things, with gifts in her life that, that made her life different, even than those around her, those who identified as followers of, of Yahweh, followers of the Lord, the God of Israel. And so this morning, we want to look at this, this older woman's testimony by the name of Anna as she, as she has lived her life faithfully and been faithful to the Lord and served the Lord in faithfulness her life, all, the, all her life through. And it's interesting that God takes this older woman and now makes her part of a, uh, uh, a threefold testimony. We have had the shepherds, we have had Simeon, and now we have a widow by the name of Anna, who completes the testimony. Uh, because remember, in the, in the, in, according to Jewish judicial law, all testimony had to be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And so God uses one Anna to complete this threefold witness to who Christ is. And it's, inter- it's an interesting reality for us as we look here, as we answer the question, what does it mean to live a life that is well spent? Let me answer that for you in a couple different ways. The first part of the answer, I think, has to go like this. That as we look at living a life that is well spent, we have to think of and think through commitment. Commitment to the Lord that is ultimately the most essential aspect of living a well spent life. Commitment to the Lord is, is the ultimate, most essential aspect of what it means to live a life that is well spent for the glory of God. Because as, as I mentioned earlier, there's lots of illusions, I think, of life, lots of different things. Because we could, we could add underneath all of these, the four things that I listed earlier, we could add things like money, prestige, power, material possessions. We could talk about living constantly for the approval of others, by seeking self-worth through the approval of others. We could speak of wealth. We could speak of relationships. We could speak of beauty and physical appearance. We could speak of learning. We could speak of fame. We could speak of happiness that's achieved through reaching certain milestones in our lives. And yet Scripture never places any of these things as the ultimate. Scripture never, never places any of these things. God never says any of these things are the most important. Instead, 
What he tells us is that devotion to him, commitment to him, is the ultimate aspect of life. This is why Jesus would say in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Jesus teaches us what it means to live a life that is for his glory and for his honor. A mind that is living in the, with the reality of the greatest commandment in mind emphasizing the importance of living for and loving God above all else, living for and loving God above anything and everything else that we could live for. 1 Corinthians 10.31, the Apostle Paul says this, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so I would say, as the Scripture says, the Bible instructs us that in absolutely every part of our lives, there are no partitions to which God does, to which it Everything in life does not belong to him. There's, there's nothing that we keep back from God and say, okay, this is mine. If we know the Lord, if we have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, we align our actions and our mindsets and our intentions for living for his glory in all things, in all areas, in all ways of life. Jesus himself would go on in John chapter 14, verse 15, and he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus tells us very clearly that, again, commitment to the Lord is the ultimate, most essential, absolute, ultimate aspect of living this life. Our forefathers, uh, Benjamin Keach, uh, from, the Baptist, from the Baptist Catechism, uh, created from the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, he actually asks the, from question two, what is the chief end of man? To which he responds, very similarly to the Westminster Catechism, I might add, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so the overarching aim and goal in this life for you and me is to live for the Lord's glory, to glorify him, to enjoy him, to serve him, to honor him, to highlight the fact that it is all about Christ in this life. Paul would even say to us who are in Christ again, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or sacrifice. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so in all things, right, in all things, as we, as we look at Scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament, Everything is about living for the glory of God. It is about living for the honor of Christ. It is about living so that Christ and the gospel of Christ would be made known. It is about God's sovereign work in our lives in a way that God gets all the glory and all the praise and all the, all the honor in our salvation. It is God who planned it. It is God who executed. It is God who sanctifies. It is Christ in us. It is God who gets the glory from the beginning to the end. And so we get that all of it is for the glory of God. So let me show you the second. I think there's a second aspect here to living uh, this, this life that is well lived. And it's, it actually comes from Anna's example here. And that is and it's simply this. It is... <clears throat> The devotion or commitment to the Lord is a calling for every believer. Like, sometimes we, we think that, well, you know, living for the Lord really is like, like the way some people do it. That's only for like special, super Christian people. 
But in reality, every single one of us have been called to live for the glory of God. Every one of us have been called to live every aspect of our life for Christ. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor or an elder. It doesn't matter if you're a deacon. It doesn't matter if you're a Sunday school teacher. It doesn't matter if you're a stay-at-home mom. It doesn't matter if you're single. It doesn't matter what you do. If you belong to Christ, you have been called into this calling to, to live for God, to live for the Lord, to live for Christ. Let me show you what I mean by Anna's example here. So look at, look at Anna's life as a whole. Okay? Take a look at Anna's life as a whole. Anna was first and, well, I don't know first and foremost, but Anna was, despite what our culture may say today, Anna was a woman and she knew it. And so Anna, being a woman and knowing what a woman was, says that um, she, she being, being, being a woman in Jewish society, would have had a couple of things wrong and against her. First, while certainly Jewish women did, were respected more in, by the time of Christ than some of the other women in the other cultures, certainly Roman women were far more respected, but the Jewish culture did allow for and, 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 and permitted and, and expected a fair amount of, of respect for women. At the same time, she still faced, as a woman, great discrimination. She still faced in this time a great discrimination. What do I mean by that? Well, so let me give you an example. So there, there is still a prayer. Um, I, I could show you, but there's still a prayer uh, among the, the Jewish, uh, the Orthodox Jewish men who pray, and there are three parts to this prayer. And this was prayed from a very long time ago. And it's part of their morning blessings, and it still includes this. It thanks God that they are not slaves, Gentiles, or, you guessed it, women. They are, not, they are thankful they are not women, Gentiles, or slaves. And this would have been the case at this point in time, too. Add to this that the rabbis did not approve the same amount of instruction and education in the Torah for girls is for boys because let's just be honest according to the Jewish rabbis their minds aren't ready for it they can't handle it they were not ready as a matter of fact Alfred Edersheim in his sketches of Jewish life he puts it like this the Jewish rabbis regarded women's minds as not to be adapted for such investigations so Anna would have been discriminated against in this sense. Jewish women were restricted to the areas even of the temple. They were not permitted to go into or, or to, to move past what was called the women's court. And they, could not, uh, they could not enter into the inner court where the ceremonies then were performed. And even according to Josephus, it was his opinion, as well as several other men in that society, that women and slaves should never give evidence in court because, and as a matter of fact, only men of good reputation should be able to give evidence in court. It's interesting seeing that the Lord includes her, that God himself includes Anna in the testimony of his son, isn't it? And yet here in, this, in verses 36 through 38, we have this woman by the name of Anna, who has nothing but the Lord, who serves no one but her Lord. And yet the Lord is pleased to include her testimony concerning Jesus. I would say to us, my brothers and sisters, God is not a respecter of persons. And God does not care what station of life you are. God does not care where you're from, the socioeconomic background you're from. God has called each and every one of us in Christ, if we are in Christ, to live for him and his glory. 
He has called us to live for his honor, for his praise. It doesn't matter what life is what we life may throw at us. It doesn't matter what God's sovereign grace may allow to come at us in life. But it does matter that God is the God who calls his people to live in devotion to him. But not only was, was Anna living for the glory of God in the, in the temple as a woman, but also as a widow, also as a widow. She was, she was, we're not sure how old when she was married, but we know that she was married for seven years. At seven years, uh, her husband passes away, and so now she is at the age of 84, living some many years, I'm sure, um, as a widow. And what is her only comfort? Not having child, not having husband, not having anyone to rely upon. Where is her trust? It's in the Lord. Her trust is in the Lord. I think we, should, we would be wrong like sometimes we look at people in the scripture and say, yeah, you know, they're just sort of a different breed. But I think we have to remember, right, that it is the same Lord at work in them that is the same Lord that is at work in us. And having said that, let me say this. I think we would do a disservice if, if we did not allow ourselves to put ourselves in her position as a first century Jewish woman widowed. It would have been easy for her to have grown bitter it would have been easy for her to have given in to all sorts of of, of other things uh, to fall into all kinds of, of different realities but but in, in but in truth she lives for the Lord and 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 truthfully while women could certainly own property uh, the richer widows um, poorer widows in the culture didn't have quite as many opportunities in life and and honestly poorer widows were 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 the target of corrupt businessmen. In fact, God declares that he has a special concern for widows and orphans. So, for instance, in Exodus 22, 22 through 24, he says, You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child if you afflict them in any way, and they cry at all to me. I will surely hear their cry, and wrath, my wrath will become hot, and I will kill you with the sword. Your wife shall be, will be widows and your children fatherless or psalm 68 5 god declares himself to be a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows is god in his holy habitation and so it is the lord that anna now takes refuge in she doesn't seek out another husband she could have she doesn't seek out to have children she doesn't seek out any other refuge except the lord herself and it's not that these things would necessarily have been wrong they wouldn't have been wrong at all but instead anna devotes herself to the lord all the days of her life and we would say, well, Anna was a woman, Anna was a widow, but Anna was also elderly. Anna was also elderly. As a whole, in Hmong Jewish society, the elderly were respected, and yet, as I said, the older, poorer widows were still subject to a lot of shady business. Matter of fact, this is one of the reasons why um, God brings judgment uh, upon the nation of Israel. Uh, there's a couple different places we find the reasons why. One of that is that they have killed their children, uh, and God says through the, through the prophet to Manasseh and to those who have slaughtered their children, I will not forgive this sin, and you will go into exile, and I will kill you because of this but also because of their shady business dealings with the widows and the fatherless the orphans God deals with his people harshly and so while it is true I mean the elders were mainly respected in Jewish society they were still subject to abuse uh, of the ruthless and the wicked 
and, and truthfully, in our pragmatic society, the elderly can't, who can't take, of the, take care of themselves um, are often viewed as something to be put to the side, to be set aside instead of honoring them and glorifying God in the way we, we, we treat them. And if we're honest, I think a lot of people see in our society the elderly as less than useful. Um, and what I mean by that is this. Um, euthanasia, medically assisted suicide in Canada known as MAID and other places known by different names. And this is a real, this is a real thing. If you, if you don't think you have, you have, if you believe you've outlived your usefulness, all you have to do is apply to MAID and you can, you can die with a physician's help. That's not honoring. That's not honoring. That's not treating life as holy and sacred. That's not treating life in a way that honors the Lord. It's not a way that honors the Lord at all. And thankfully, God does not view the elderly as useless or a burden on society. And if an elderly person is devoted to the Lord, right, their life and their death is precious in his sight. That's what the Bible tells us in Psalm 116, verse 15, that the Lord loves his people. And so here's my point in saying all this and, and bringing this up. My point is, is, is that no matter, no matter where you may find yourself, right, God has always had his people, his people who are the salt of the earth, who, who are called to proclaim the gospel in Christ. And if you are in Christ, you are accounted among them. You are, part of a, you are part of the throng that God has preserved to proclaim Christ and to make disciples. But Anna's devotion is an example for us as well because she is committed, right? Her heart is united. Her preeminent desire is to serve the Lord. She's careful in that she's in the temple. She, it says that she stayed in the temple. It doesn't mean that she lived there, but she was there pretty much all day, every day, um, went home to rest and came back. And she was devoted she was devoted and not doing this in her own strength or her own power. She was living wholeheartedly for the Lord. Listen, we may say, hey, I, I, I hear what you're saying, Pastor, and I want to go live for Jesus. Well, let me say something to you. You can't do that in your own strength. You can't do that in your own power. This is not something we're called to do in our own strength or in our own power. We're called to do this for the glory and the honor of God. We're called to do this for the sake of Christ and making much of King Jesus. And yes, it doesn't matter if we're young or old or rich or poor, or it doesn't matter our station in life. It doesn't matter. In, God does not know limitations when it comes to using his people for his glory. And so let me show you one last thing here. And it's simply this. It's the third thing. It's devotion to the Lord always, or commitment to the Lord always involves three things. Three activities, worship, witness, and waiting. Let's say, well, now, where do you get that from? Well, let, let me show you where I get that from here in, in, in Luke chapter 2 here. And yes, I'm well aware, I, this could have been a, a whole sermon in and of itself, but we'll, we'll just we'll condense it down. But devotion to the Lord always involves worship, witness, and waiting. What do I mean by that? Well, <clears throat> notice where Anna was. Anna was in the temple. Anna was serving the Lord. Anna served the Lord, right? He, that was her whole purpose in this life. Um, and, and, has, uh, and, and so when it says here that she served, the idea here is that this was, this was what she was all about. Everything about her was for the service of God. And what does her service to God look like? Well, it does tell us here in Scripture in verse 37 that Anna's worship took the form of what? Two things, prayer and fasting, right? 
prayer and fasting. And so when we talk about fasting, right, usually means that we're going without food for a specific period of time. It's usually joined with prayer, right, usually. And for the Jews, the, the most common fast lasted generally from sunrise to sunset. And then they would eat at the end of the, end of the day. And while there, there, are, there are no commands necessarily in the New Testament epistles for us to fast, certainly, Certainly, there are many examples of us to fast. Jesus even says, when you fast. And so this is not something that was just belonging to Anna. This was something that she said, Lord, you are so important. Devotion to you is so important that there are times in which I must go without food, that I can devote myself to prayer and supplication. And Anna's, Anna's in, in, in doing this, Anna's worship then is all about, again, bringing God to the forefront of her life and her mind, right? She, she, she would spend her time interceding, interceding for, for what we don't know, but it does seem to become clear that at some point, like Simeon, God had revealed to Anna that she was to see the Messiah. And so she waited, longing, waiting, praying, seeking after, and then she found him. And she rejoices. And it's amazing because unlike Simeon, Simeon we were told all about what he said. Anna, we don't know anything, but we certainly know who she is. Because while we don't know what she said, we certainly know that she was a woman who was godly in her life. Who loved the Lord and served the Lord. And Anna, was, Anna loved the Lord, seeking the Lord daily. And, and, and let me say this. Dads, moms, let me say this to you. If you've still got kids in the home, you are called not just to bring your kids to worship on Sunday. Certainly, you should do that. The Lord's Day, right? We gather, we worship. But you should certainly be involved with leading your family in worship daily. And even if you don't have kids in the home, husbands, lead your wives. Wives, if you don't have, or, well, if you wouldn't be a wife. Women, women if, you, if you don't have a husband, lead yourself in worship. Men, if you don't have a, a wife and you're single, lead yourself in worship. We're called, worship is something that we just don't do together. It's something that we are called to do every day of our lives. But certainly, men, we should lead our wives. And fathers, we should lead our sons and our daughters in daily worship to the Lord. Singing, reading scripture, honoring the Lord, and praying together, making much of King Jesus together. And so Anna was involved daily in this worship. Praise and thanksgiving daily, communing with the Lord daily. And let me be honest with you. We need men and women with commitment like this. We need brothers and sisters who are committed like this. Away with the foolish, worldly Christianity that says that it requires no commitment from us. And let us seek the Lord faithfully. And so she worshiped the Lord, but then she witnessed, because notice what the text says here in verse 37, right? or in verse 38, I'm sorry. It says, and she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise to the Lord. And listen to this. And she spoke of him to all that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. She, she was a passionate evangelist. The Christ has come. Messiah has come. The one that we have been long waiting for has finally come. Christian, let me ask you this. Are you seeking out ways 
to share the gospel. Now listen, you, you don't have to go to Planned Parenthood with Tim and I. You don't have to stand on the street corners and preach, right? do street preaching like Tim and I do. You don't have to do that. But are you seeking to make much of Christ in your lives? Are you seeking out ways to share the gospel with friends and family members, with those who are around you by making disciples? Right? You, you, may not, you may not ever stand on a street corner and get n- nice waves with one fingers and all kinds of other things, right? You may never do that. But brothers and sisters, you are called to make much of King Jesus as well in your life. You are called to share the gospel with those around you. You are called to make Christ known. No, I realize that that, that doesn't mean that, that, that that's all you're going to ever do, but it certainly should be a part of your regular rhythm of life. And yes, yeah, certainly we should be tactful and we should be sensitive to those around us, looking for the, the right opening at the right time to share the gospel. But Anna was faithful in sharing about the Messiah. Now, and I don't mean this as a, as a, as a manipulation tactic. I just ask the question, when was the last time you got excited about telling someone about Christ? And then waiting upon the Lord to move waiting upon the Lord to move. This is what she did. She waited upon the Lord, not only Simeon and Anna, but others who were also apparently looking, as the text tells us here in verse 38, they were looking for the redemption of Israel. They were looking for the Messiah. J.C. Ryle, in his expository thoughts on the gospel, on the gospels, makes this observation. He says that these people lived in a wicked city and they were not carried away by the flood of worldliness, formality and self-righteousness around them. They were not infected by the carnal expectations of a mere worldly Messiah in which most Jews indulged. They lived in the faith of patriarchs and prophets that the coming Redeemer would bring in holiness and in righteousness and that his principal victory would be over sin and the devil. And this is what we are called to remember too in 1 Thessalonians 1.10. Listen to what the Bible says. Even so, it says, it says, wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And while we wait for the coming of the Lord, we rejoice and sing and we witness for Christ. And so devotion then, my brothers and sisters, is discipleship. Devotion is discipleship. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is Anna was devoted to the Lord from the moment, from the mo- from long before Uh, the moment she saw Jesus, but at the moment she saw Jesus, everything changed for her. Everything changed for her. And God the Son had now come, had now come. Jesus, the the, the promise of Psalm 2-7 was becoming a reality that says, I will declare the decree, the Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. We see, we see the, the, the imprints of the Trinity here in all of this. We see the imprints of the Trinity as Anna worshipped the Spirit of God working through her. She worshipped the Father. She worshipped God. As she worshipped God the Father, the Spirit had revealed to her what was going to happen. And now the Son had come into the temple 
all places. Fulfilling the promise of Emmanuel, God now with us. But I will say this. You cannot serve and be devoted to the Lord unless you are redeemed by his son. You cannot serve the Lord unless you are redeemed by this Lord. The price, the price of that redemption and his death, his burial and his resurrection. And I would add his life too, right? Because we don't just, when we come to faith in Christ, we don't just get his uh, what is called is passive obedience, but also is active obedience, so that God fulfilled the law, so that in Christ we are given his righteousness. Not just our sins are forgiven, but his righteousness is given to us. As Paul writes to us in Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith, And so we cannot be redeemed apart from Christ. And so I would say to you, if you are here and do not know Christ, let me plead with you that you come to Christ, that Jesus now offers you through this invitation uh, a call to Christ, right? uh, To come to Christ. Jesus provides forgiveness of sin, redemption from our life of sin and iniquity and bringing us into the kingdom of his light through faith. And so coming to faith in Christ, we are saved by God. We are saved by God. And this is the calling for you if you are here. This is your calling. The calling for you is to stop, to break off your sin, to repent of your sin, to flee to Christ. And no, you cannot do that unless God's sovereignty and sovereign grace reaches you. But it is still the command of God to come. And so I say to you, come. For those of us who are here who are Christians, let me say this. Believer, do not forget that in every aspect of your life, in every relationship, in every part of your existence in this life, you are called in all that you do and all that you say and all that you seek to honor him, to serve him, to love him, to make much of King Jesus. So seek to follow him in your daily decisions. Serve, serve him through your humility and compassion by having compassion upon those who are apart from Christ and sharing the gospel with them. Striving for holiness and in righteousness in our actions. Serving one another through and, and honoring the Lord through community and fellowship with other believers. And whatever you do, whether, whether you are pouring concrete, working in a factory, or have some other nice job. Right, a cushion job, job in the office, right? Air conditioning all day long. Right? It doesn't matter. Whatever it is that you are called to do, you are called to do that for the glory of God, period. Period. Driving a truck, do it for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. And you have the assurance that no matter what you do in this life, if you live your life for the glory of God, you have lived your life well because it has been for him. And so let us pray, and let us thank the Lord for his word this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for our dear sister Anna, who has provided for, who has provided for us in the scripture as a sacred example for us, example of a, of a woman who loved, Christ, who loved Christ, and saw the Messiah, and rejoiced, and went and proclaimed Christ. Father, we thank you for her example that is given to us. May we follow her example. 
may we follow Christ in all things, that we may live lives that are well spent for the glory of God. Oh, Lord, let us not give our lives over to fleeting, foolish things, but let us live our lives and spend them well, that in all things Christ may be glorified. And we ask this in Jesus' name.